Well, good morning, and I want to encourage you, if you've not already done so, to join me in John chapter 20, and I'll read for us verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, and as you're making your way to John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, uh, again, Pastor Matt mentioned at the beginning of our gathering today that today's sermon is a standalone from our two-year walk through God's Word. And uh, this two-year standalone sermon is in the Gospel of John, and the reason that it is placed in this setting is because uh, this Wednesday Wednesday marks the beginning for our small group ministry this fall, and we are going to take a 12-week study to go through John's Gospel, to walk with Jesus through His Word, and uh, we're going to spend that time together, and so oftentimes when we're about to begin a study such as that, we like to have an overview sermon uh, prior to us engaging with God in His Word. And so I'll say a little bit more about why we do these teleos studies, why it is we have books of the Bible that we're studying together, and how uh, maybe some ways to encourage us uh, to pray and give consideration for how the Lord might intend to use these studies in the encouragement and the building up of our faith in Jesus Christ. Listen with me, worship with me in the reading of God's word, John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. Hear the word of God. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's join our hearts together and petition his help as beggars. God, we thank you that we have this gathering today. And we thank you that in your kind providence, you have aligned us with the gospel of John. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see and our heart to believe wonderful things that you say about your son today. We ask these things for your glory, and we ask these things so that we, everyone here, may have life in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask these things for your glory and our joy in Jesus. Amen. The title of today's sermon is, These Things Have Been Written, and that's obviously taken straight from John chapter 20. Uh, When we consider life, we consider these things here, that all of life is lived with a purpose. Whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, whether we're reading something, whether we're at work, whether it's some type of leisure, everything we do in life has a purpose. It has an aim. We are attempting to accomplish something with every single thing that we do in life. Even the lazy person, or as Proverbs would refer to them as the sluggard, Even the sluggard is seeking to accomplish something in his laziness. God has a very clear and precise reason for writing what's been recorded in the Gospel of John. And he says that very clearly here in verse 31. These things have been written. We'll define what these things are. And for this purpose here, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing that you may have life in His 
name. So as we consider the writing of John, as we spend the next 12 weeks taking a bit closer look at this precious gospel teaching, two very obvious things emerge from verse 31. The questions are these, what are these things that John has written? And for what purpose has John recorded these things? John records for us that Jesus performed many other signs which were not recorded in this book. Just look maybe one page over with me. The very last verse of this gospel. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. So what we have here is enough. What we have here is sufficient in terms of God's providence. And what God wants to reveal about himself, we have what we need here in God's word. But these two verses are also instructing us that there are many other things that Jesus did that were not recorded in Christian scripture. That shouldn't discourage us. That ought to encourage us. And it ought to give us kind of sights maybe with the appetite for what's to become in all eternity, when we get to spend all in eternity exploring all the things that Jesus did, all that God is for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, that we've yet to see. An eternity's worth of beholding the glory of God in the face of His Son, Jesus Christ. As if there's any credibility question for who's written and why He's written it. Verse 24, right before verse 25. This is the disciple who's also referred to as the disciple Jesus loved. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things and that we know his testimony is true. And it's not only the witness of the Apostle John. There's the witness of Christ himself. There's the witness of God. There's the witness of the Holy Spirit. There's the witness of others. Several things John records in John 4 and John 5 that are witnesses or accounts that testify to the truth and validity that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. And John's saying, with inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these things I'm writing so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that in believing you may have life in his name. So, first question today, and there's two of them. What are these things written in John's gospel? Answered simply, an eyewitness account of the person, the work, and the ministry of Jesus the Messiah. As verse 30 in chapter 21, verse 25 that we just read a few moments say, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. There are many other unrecorded signs and wonders of Jesus, but the ones that were recorded were done so for a very precise and particular reason. They were written so that you may believe. God's words written, it's recorded, person, work, and ministry of Christ, so that you may believe. Believe in Jesus. That's the purpose, reason for which God's word has been written. These miracles and wonders that are spoken of, 
means that these are by which men prove that the cause that they are pleading is God's. So these things, these signs, these wonders are happening are not giving credibility necessarily to the men in and of themselves. They're pointing to the credibility and the glory of God. Pleading the cause that they are taking up for the glory of God. The ranging of the meaning of this word believe here is this. To think to be true. Or to be persuaded of. To place confidence in. Or the New Testament use of this. The conviction and trust to which a man is impelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative and law of the soul. These things are written in order to persuade you that Jesus is the Christ. And here's what's encouraging with that. This persuasion, though it, the appeal is to the natural intellect of the man, but we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural mind of the man is spiritually darkened so they cannot understand the things of God. So what ought to encourage us about that is this appeal to the natural mind has the help of the Holy Spirit who Jesus speaks about in John 14, 15, and 16, saying it's to your advantage that I'll go away because when I go away, I'll send one, the helper, the comforter, who will come and he'll disclose the things that I've been telling you to you. So this appeal that's made to us is not one which by the natural mind we can apprehend that Jesus is the Christ. But one where God the Holy Spirit helps us to see and to believe. He helps us, as Paul takes up in Romans chapter 10, to be able to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. Salvation lies in that. God is after that for you. He's written these things so that you will believe in Jesus Christ. And this belief in Christ will give you life. Jesus is the Son of God. This same verb construction of Jesus is the Son of God that we see right here is the same construct for the seven I am's. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection of life, I am the light of the world, I am the true vine, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the same construction there. The person and work of Christ was written so that you may believe in these very precise things. One great travesty in the final judgment will come because you rejected the very things written by God and accomplished in Jesus Christ. The things that were made clear. God's invisible attributes that he made known in Romans chapter 1. That's going to be one of the great travesties in the final judgment. Romans speaks about the unrighteous man suppressing the knowledge and truth of God. What God has to say to that person who's suppressing the truth, the knowledge of God, denying the truth, exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of corruptible man. God says to that person who's exchanging these things, denying these things, which God has made clear, that he's storing up wrath for you. The basis of the content for what has been accomplished, recorded, and written is it so that you will believe. And the fruit or results that you believe is that you have life in his name. So what are these things? What are these things that he's mentioning 
Well, most would agree that the things that he's making reference to here are the seven signs that are recorded in the Gospel of John. One of them, and I'll just briefly go through these seven, is turning the water into wine. Why would Jesus do this? Wine's an emblem of joy. It's a representation that Jesus Christ was crushed by God the Father as a sin offering for us. Another sign is the healing of the royal official son in chapter 4. Jesus spoke and the son was healed. Remember, he came to him and said that his son was dying. Jesus said he lives. And then when he got back to his home, they figured out the time that at the time Jesus said he's healed was the time that the fever left the young boy. This demonstrates Jesus' lordship over distance. He is not bound by time or location. The third sign, healing of the paralytic at the Bethesda pool in John chapter 5. Jesus healed this man, 38 years ill, who himself could not put himself in the pool and had nobody else to help him to get into the pool. This demonstrates the lordship of Christ over healing. He can heal your sin-sick, paralytic soul. He can do that right now. Another sign, Jesus feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6, which has more to do with bread and fish. Christ's body is offered to you. He is your supply. He is sufficient for you. And He will be the very one to sustain you. You see what Jesus is teaching about Himself in each of these signs. Not just that your temporary needs get filled, but that Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is your supply. Jesus will sustain you. He is the bread of heaven. The walking on water, John chapter 6. Jesus was demonstrating His Lordship over all things, especially the winds and the waves. Jesus calms the tumultuous storms, which in turn encourages faith in Him rather than fear in our circumstances. What is more encouraging to us? That Jesus Christ has the power to steal those? Or that He's with us in the middle of those tumultuous times? The healing of the man born blind. Remember the question of the disciples who sinned? His mother, father. What did Jesus say? Nobody that sinned. This has come upon him so that the works of God may be glorified in his life. He works his works of glory in you to give you sight. To see his glory. To see his brilliance. To see his radiance. He is able to open your eyes right now. To the radiant glory and breathtaking beauty of his son Jesus Christ. The raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. He works his work, giving life to those who are dead in their sins. And he does this through his own atoning death and sacrifice. He does this through his own resurrection. These things have been written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God. That's why John's gospel has been written. God is going after your heart to apprehend your heart through the precious reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the one promised in the Old Testament. He's the one fulfilled all of those Old Testament promises. 
Secondly, what reason has John written these things? These things were written, verse 31, that believing you may have life in his name. That believing you may have life in his name. My prayer has been the last several days specifically that God would just use this time here to really encourage our hearts in more ways than these feeble efforts can, um, can go about to see the life that we have in the name of Christ. One of the most tragic realities that exist is that a lost person can live but not have life. Let me say that again. One of the most tragic realities that exist is that a lost person can live. They can enjoy life. They can enjoy the common grace of the Lord. They can breathe. They can react. They can respond. They can live, habitate this earth, but not have eternal life. That's a tragedy. A lost person can see all of the signs and yet remain blind to their very own sin and their need for Christ. A lost person, and we have some among us today, there's no doubt, can sit under accurate, faithful teaching of God's Word, and yet their ears remain dull to the very voice of God. A lost person can see the activity of God played out before them, yet still not believe in Christ. A lost person can look at the life of a Christian and begin to poke fun of those who are obedient to Christ, thinking that they themselves have the freedom to live their own life, yet not realize that their life will eventually end in destruction. This mirage of thinking you live this life based on your own selfish pleasure is really your own effort to self-destruct. One example would be, look at Judas Iscariot, one of the original 12, the son of perdition, the one who eventually turned Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. One author said this phrase, through his name, means that it's through the power of the person who bears the name. In the Bible, the name of God is not merely the name by which he is designated, but all that he is in himself. What does it mean that in believing you may have life in his name? I think the Gospel of John answers it in these ways. What does it mean that in believing you may have life in his name? It means you get to see and receive his glory. You get to see and receive his glory. John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It means we get to see his glory. Not only see his glory, but it means we get to receive his glory. John chapter 17, verse 22 and following. The glory, this is Jesus speaking, which you have given me to the Father, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Hear the prayer of Jesus. Father, I desire that those whom you've given me may be with me where I am, that they may see my glory. For you love me before the foundation of the world. That's the prayer of Jesus for his people. Father, I desire those you've given me will be with me where I am. They will see 
my glory. It's the very glory that Jesus took up a few moments ago in saying, the glory that you've given to me, I have given to them. So these things are written so that the life that we have in Christ is that we're able to see and receive the glory of Jesus Christ. It means that we see and testify that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Son of God. John said this in John 1. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God, speaking to Jesus the Messiah. Nathanael answered him in uh, verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. John 3, 18, He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only begotten Son of God. It means that we can see and testify and proclaim and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. It means that we are known by God and can therefore know Christ. We can be known by God. Jesus himself says that in John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and they know my voice. Jesus I am the good shepherd. I know my own. Is that not life-giving in the name of Jesus that we can be known by God the Father? And not only be known by him, but to also know him. John 6, 69. Peter's response after hard teaching had driven many away. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It means that we can believe in Christ, John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. It means that we can be loved and therefore know how to love one another. This love that is received and enjoyed from God. Greater love, John fifteen thirteen. Greater love is no one than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says also in John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So we can be loved. And in turn, it's the only foundation for which we know how to love anyone else. A lost person cannot fully love someone else because they have yet to experience and receive the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. It's a superficial, self-centered love. It can look endearing. It can look sweet. It can look nice. It can look thoughtful. But it is missing the most important ingredient in understanding love. It's missing the love that says this. Christ's life has been laid down for you. Your sins have been paid for by his life. It means that we can know how to keep his commandments in obedience to him. John 14, 15 again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a great question to often put before our own hearts. Do you love the Lord? Well, are you keeping his commandments? Like all of them. Not just the ones that are convenient to you. Not those that are just easy to you. Not those that you like but you're keeping all of his commandments. Well, I don't know all of his commandments. They're, he's given us 
in his word. What he requires, what he expects. He's given us the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand what it is. He's shown his light in us to disclose these things. It means that we can have eternal joy in Jesus Christ. John 15. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. It's God's intention through the person, work, and ministry of His Son, Jesus, that we have full joy. And that full joy can only come through the joy that we have that's given to us that abides in us in Jesus Christ. John has been written to shed light, clarity, and hope in these evil times as well. Perhaps if you've been paying attention to the news, in any way you've seen what's gone on in Charlottesville, Virginia. What does the church have to say on matters such as these? Is this something that the church should involve themselves? Do we have guidance from God's word? Well, God has written for clarity's sake how to have hope in him in evil times such as these. Jesus himself said, John 16, 33, I have written these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So by now you've seen the evil atrocities that have taken place in Charlottesville, Virginia. There are no other explanations than to call what's going on in Charlottesville, Virginia, what it really is. It's racism. It's bigotry. It's hatred. Worst of all, it's sin. White supremacy should be condemned because it is damnable. It is counter-gospel, it's anti-Christ, and it's deplorably sinful. Jesus, a Middle Eastern Jew, knows what it's like to be made fun of. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be despised. He knows what it's like to be questioned. He knows what it's like to be hated and beat and killed. And yet, the despised and crushed second person of the Trinity rose again to give life to those who would recognize that there is only one who is supreme. And it's not based on the color of his skin, but on the stripes that he bore, the wounds that he received, the forsakenness he endured, and the death he died as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, as the son of man, as heaven's favorite, as the father's delight, as the one in whom there is life. Christ bore that on our behalf. Only Jesus is supreme. Only Jesus is supreme. One reason John has been written is so that our church has the opportunity to study God's word together. We want to lay before you in these teleos studies. Teleos means to be complete in Christ, taken from Colossians, well, taken from several passages in the New Testament. So that you may be presented complete in Christ. It's a 40-year vision, unless the Lord helps us to learn how to speed that up uh, more, more quickly. To try to put into your hand 12-week studies that cover every book of the Bible. For you to be able to have your notes written in from time that you've spent studying God's Word. And from the helpful application you've received from other 
people. As we mentioned at the start of the service, those uh, studies uh, or small groups begin this week. And I just want to appeal to you to make it your ambition. Make it your ambition to be an active participant in the small group life of this church. Let me love you by loving you in this way. There's very little that this church requires of you throughout a given week. We have the Sunday gathering, and then we have your small group that you meet in every other week for, you meet six times for, for, over the course of a 12-week span. That's very small, little, basic requirement. Make it your ambition to be an active participant in the small group life of this church. That's how our small groups are going to love you. That's how they're going to pray for you. That's how they're going to be encourage you. If you're not there and they ask, don't get your feelings hurt. It's just a way to love you. But take part in them. Even if you've not answered all the questions in that week, it's okay. Just read the assigned passages that are there. You could probably listen to them on the way over to a small group that night and join in on that discussion. We as a church body need to grow together in biblical maturity. And the primary way that we grow together in biblical maturity is we get together and we study His Word together. There's great profit. Every single member of this church can probably give testimony after testimony of the benefit that you have received from another brother or sister in Christ in this church who's been studying God's Word. So let's make it our ambition to be an active participant in what's going on in the small group life of our church. I took these straight from the study, okay? So if you want to know how to have eternal life, John's gospel is for you. If you want to behold the glory of God in Christ, John's gospel is for you. Guess what? If you want to know how all of Scripture finds meaning in the person and ministry of Jesus, John's gospel is for you. If you want to see what unflinching obedience to God looks like, the portrait of Jesus in John's gospel is for you. Man, I really regret in my notes, there's some really good things that Simeon uh, had written on this section, and it's uh, read Charles Simeon on, and I forgot to bring it. So, sorry about that. Um, It's not enough. So these are just a few of the reasons that are written down in our study for why John's gospel is for us. It's not enough to believe there is a God, to only believe there's a God. It's not enough to believe there is a heaven and hell. The demons believe these things and they shudder. What makes your belief any different than what the belief the demons possess? It's a belief that gives you life in the name of Jesus. Is there life in you? Do you have, John 4, the living waters of Jesus springing up within your soul to quench your thirst, causing you to bloom and to flourish? Is there life in you? Do you have the bread of life that satisfies your hunger? For Jesus describes himself, I am the bread of life in John 6, verse 35, verse 41, verse 48 and 51. Is there life in you? Do you have the light of the world in you? John chapter 8, verse 12 and 9, 5. John chapter 1, in him was life, And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, 
so that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. The light is shed in our life in order to dispel the darkness and to expose evil. John 3, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. I want you to pay attention. And men loved the darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So pay attention to this question here. What are you hiding in your life right now? What are you hiding in your life right now? What's still in the darkness? Any effort of yours to try to keep something as hidden is sin. To try to stay hidden is sin. And I would encourage perhaps all of us at some point to have somebody who loves us, maybe this week, ask us, anything in your life that's hidden? Anything that you're afraid to be out in the light? Anything that's going on in there that you're afraid would be exposed? And share those things. Get those things out in the light as things that have been atoned for by the blood of the Lamb, as things that are meant to be confessed, as Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. If you're hiding, you're sinning. There is nothing that sears the conscience and snuffs out life like hidden sin. Nothing. It will eat you alive. It'll rot your bones. It'll cripple your life. It'll trouble and plague your conscience. So get those hidden things out in the light. Is there life in you? Do you have the resurrection and life? Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Is there life in you? Do you know the way, the truth, and the life? As Jesus describes himself in John 14. Is there life in you? Have you been led through the door of the sheep pen? By the good shepherd. John chapter 10. I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Is there life in you? Are you abiding in the true vine? John 15, 5. If so, if you're abiding in the true vine, you'll be abiding in Christ. You'll be abiding in his words and you will be abiding in his love. These things have been written so that you may believe and have life in his name. 
Is the life that you are longing for, does that square up with the life that you can have in Jesus Christ? Is the life you long for the same life written down for you and modeled in this book? If the answer is no, then you really have to ask if the life you are living is based on the imitation of Christ in you or not. We have that metaphor, the person in prison who's still living. He still has life even though he's in the prison. But he's in bondage. And his life is in accordance to the rules of the prison. The person without Christ is the same way. Still can have life. Still show signs of religion. But they remain dead in their sins. So let me appeal to you again in this way. Read John with the glory of God in the face of Christ in view. Read it in that way. Read this precious gospel in that way. Read it with the prescient knowledge that God wants to be known and that he has written and recorded in his word that he can be known through Christ. He's made himself available to us. Read his word with humility, seeking to know him and not trying to fit him into your own ideology. You cannot and will not fit him into your own worldview. You will not and cannot hem him into your own traditions. Our life must be conformed to his ways. Do this and you will know. And you will experience the life he intends for us to live according to his name. Do this and you will believe. And in believing, you will have life in his name. I feel in a lot of ways more can be said. I mean, it's certainly more can be said about this wonderful gospel than this sermon that I just preached. But I do believe that what has been preached is so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I do believe that what's been preached More importantly, what's recorded is there so that in believing, you will have life in his name. Let's pray.